in the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus says, For I say unto you, Among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. It is so interesting to me that the Bible would take time to say and tell us that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet born of women. It may not be interesting to everyone. They may read right past it. But what makes it so interesting is not just the first part of the verse, but the last part of the verse. The first part being that John was the greatest prophet of all prophets, of Abraham, of Moses, any prophet, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, those that are named, those that are not named, whoever your favorite prophet is, or someone maybe in your life today made a great impact on you. Jesus has taken the time to say there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, and that might be fine. You could probably read right past it, but what should catch our attention the most is what this last part of the verse is telling us, that although he is the greatest, but he that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. What is it about John that makes him the greatest, and how, more importantly, why is they who are least in the kingdom greater than he is? That seems to not make any sense. That seems to maybe contradict itself. But those um, I have come to find in my life are some of my favorite verses to study. Those that seem to contradict one another. But there is a greater revelation. And if we are to continue in the apostles' doctrine, as the Bible says, Acts 2.42, continue in this New Testament church. We must continue in what the apostles taught, what they learned, and that is more importantly found and all comes to um, a greater understanding in the life of Jesus as he points us to the New Testament church. So what makes John the greatest? What makes those who are least in the kingdom the greatest? Who is John? What is his role? What is his voice? What does he represent in the Bible pointing us to the New Testament church? John, who was he? He was born a miracle child. So his parents were not supposed to have had children. They were old in age. On top of that, his mother Elizabeth was barren, but God saw that they were righteous people and he shined upon them. There was a prophecy that he would be born, given to Zechariah. But from that prophecy of his birth, his assignment would be very clear. We find that Luke chapter 1, verse 11 through 17. The story picks up here as Zacharias is praying in the temple. Verse 11 says, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. But when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor straw drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready 
a people prepared for the Lord. So seeing here, his life was pretty much laid out, planned out, called of God. His assignment was very clear. Turn the people to the Lord and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This message that John would preach in his adult life when his ministry started, it, this message is so unpopular. Not only was it unpopular in the world, in the wilderness, but it was very unpopular among the religious. So unpopular that this would eventually cost John his life when his head was on a silver platter. When Herod's wife requested of it. His assignment was clear, but what was the message he preached to, for him to fulfill his assignment? His message was very clear also. It was repentance. And John did not cut corners. John did not smooth it over. He wanted everyone to know exactly what God thought of repentance and what God was wanting to do to make his people ready for him to come. It was not what their view of repentance had become. John was bringing back the revelation of repentance to the people. Luke chapter 3 and verse 3. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He came preaching repentance, baptism of repentance more clearly. So important is this subject, the need of it. John the Baptist would not baptize without repentance, without someone first coming to God. Jesus himself demanded repentance before baptism. He left no room for debate when he said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. He says that if you don't even believe, there is no need for baptism. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up with the rest of his disciples when he preached on that day. He gave the command first to repent before baptism. So repentance, what exactly does it mean? What was John preaching? He preached, yes, the Bible says it, prepare you the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. But that word repentance, John was bringing it back to life when he was saying these words. Make yourself ready. Turn from what you're doing. Make the path straight for the Lord to come back again into our lives. That word repentance meant in the Old Testament cut off or destroy. And the other meaning along with it is to turn. To turn one's way back to God. Get whatever you have to get out of the way. Pluck out whatever you have to do. Tear it down. Get it out of the way. Cut it off. Destroy it. Whether it's relationship or something in your house. Something you're handling. Something you're doing. You know you're not supposed to be doing. Because repentance is very clear. When you come to God, He makes it very clear. Well, this is what's in the way. And that's what John the Baptist was preaching. The prophecy was that John would come. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 is one of those prophecies. The Lord says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. He shall prepare the way before me. It was a requirement. John, with his popularity, he could have rushed people into the baptism because of just, just saying, you need to be baptized. They would have ran and done it. But John didn't rush people into baptism. 
He didn't do it just to say, I have all these numbers and look at all the hundreds and maybe thousands I am baptizing. But John first declared and required them to repent. Peter, who preached, repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Ghost, stated in his epistle, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's what John the Baptist was preaching. That's what he understood. That repentance was not just lip service. It was not just a thought or maybe just a change of mind or heart. It was not just a moment in time where one had said, you know what? I believe that God is real and I think I'll just go with that. I know I believe that I'm just going to repent of my sins and then go doing my own thing. No, John wouldn't even have any idea what those concepts are today if he was to walk into majority of our churches. John himself said, I must decrease so he can increase. You can't just decrease in one moment and expect God to increase in your life. No, he was continually saying, no, I must decrease. I must do my part and save ourselves from this untoward generation. Work out and out our own salvation. That is what we do. John said, I must decrease. He must increase. So really, truly, it's no different today as it was in that day. True repentance is just as unpopular today as it was then. Repentance sees through. And it calls out things in our life. Not someone standing in your face and condemning you and saying sin is this and sin is that. No, yes, we preach sin. And we should know the difference in right and wrong. I would hope so if we're claiming to follow Jesus Christ. I would hope we would not get deceived in our minds and not go into the ways of the world of calling evil good and good evil. But repentance sees through it and it calls it out. But it doesn't do it just to sinners. It does it to the religious. How do we know that? John the Baptist paints the picture for us. He told the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These Pharisees and Sadducees were the dominant religion of that day. If there was any other belief, it first was something coming off of them, much like of many denominations. There's always a, there's always a dominant that comes. So basically, they represented the religious world. And they came to John the Baptist. John the Baptist had no problem looking at them. And because he represented repentance, he was the voice of repentance. He was the one crying out in the wilderness, the Bible says. He looked right to them and called them snakes. You generation of vipers, who warned you of this day? What are you doing here? What is going on with you? And the thing that John told them he said, you bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. What was he saying? He was saying, you're saying that you believe. You're saying that you're saved because of who you are, because of what you're a part of, and because you call yourself religious, because you're of Abraham. But John is saying, no, you bring me fruit, meat for repentance. What does that mean? To bring the meat, M-E-E-T. It says, bring works with your belief. Be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. Don't have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. Bring something. Put action with, your, with what you're saying. Paul says that you, have, you say you have faith and I have works. He said, well, show me your faith without my works. I will show you my faith 
by my works, even so faithful that works is dead. That's what John the Baptist was saying that day. He was looking to the religious and he was saying, this is true repentance. Show me. Jesus himself said, they will know you by your fruit. They will know you for your love for one another. Bring fruit meat for repentance. And there were those, not only the religious, but there were those that did no sin, did not do any of the things. They were very moral. They come to him hearing the message, were convicted, pricked in their heart, feeling the conviction of John's preaching. And as God was drawing them closer to him, and they stood there and they allowed God to search their heart. And what John answered to these was to have compassion on others. He says, you're doing all these things well. Very similar to Jesus giving us the scene of the Pharisee and the, and the publican. As the Pharisee looked down upon the publican, man, I'm so glad I don't do all the stuff he's doing. John the Baptist was telling these people who were coming, who did know adultery, did know cheating and lying and stealing and murdering, all the things that we, very obvious sins. He was saying, no, you didn't have compassion on others. That is your fruit meat for repentance. That is the action that you need to bring. That is the turning to God that needs to happen in your life. Then there was the publicans. The publicans were hated by their own people because they stole from their own people with taxes. They did not do it correctly. Their fruit meat for repentance was very obvious. Just basically stop stealing. Stop taking money from people. Do it honestly. And then there was the soldiers who had the reputation of being very violent and deceptive. And they would take money. They would steal because they were not content with what they were making. The answer to them was very obvious. Well, stop being violent. Be content with your wages. And there was a story of Herod, Herod who took his brother Philip's wife. John looked at him and said, it is not lawful for you to take your brother's wife. Herod was not asking, which I don't see where he's, he was coming to John asking him, what do I do? But it did not stop him from preaching and seeing through that because repentance sees through everything. You can't go around it. Much like in the tabernacle, how large the brazen altar was. There's no way in the world someone could say, well, I didn't see it there. Well, there, I didn't, you know, or there's no way in the world someone could say, I don't think that's very important. Because it is the largest piece that was standing there. So much like that, those who were coming to John, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? Much like in Acts chapter 2, men and brethren, what shall? we do. Peter said, well, first thing is repent. First thing is search your heart. John here, very similar, was giving them the answers. Well, stop doing this. Start doing this. And then he would turn. He would preach to Herod saying, it's not lawful to do what you are doing. Because when you come to God, things that are in the way become very obvious. That's repentance talking. That's God drawing you closer to him. That's God bringing you to his own. This was John's message. Jesus said he was the greatest. But John didn't think of himself as the greatest. John didn't look at it that way. Why? Because yes, John was humble. 
but more importantly, what John knew was coming afterwards because he knew what his assignment was. So it was what was coming in the future is what John calls John to believe that he was not the greatest. It was what was coming in the future is what causes John not to believe that of himself. Matthew records this, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11 through 14. John says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. That's my job. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I. See, John was looking ahead. He said, there's something coming after me much greater than what I'm preaching today. I'm just making the way. He says, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. He will burn up the chaff in the, with unquenchable fire. But then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, and you're coming to me. Why? Because John seen what was coming afterwards. He understood what the prophecy said. Isaiah 40 and 3 was him that crieth in the wilderness. That's John. Who preaching, prepare you the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He understood. He was just preparing a way. But his message had to be preached. It had to be clear. And had to be understood. And more importantly, it had to be obeyed by the people to make themselves prepared for the Lord. I read earlier Malachi 3 and 1. But there's a little more to that verse. I want to continue to read. It's the verse I read that said, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. The rest of it says, And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. This was preparing the way for the New Testament church. This was to show us the importance of repentance. You see, John's baptism of repentance was not salvation at all, but it was only justification. The new covenant could not come into effect until Jesus had died and rose again. And here Jesus is obviously coming up to the Jordan River to be baptized of John. So he has not died and he has not been rose again. That was the law. There could be no testament, um, excuse me, there could be no new covenant. There could be no will being transferred over or coming into power unless first one thing happened. Hebrews chapter 9 in verse 14 through 17 tells us this. Verse 14 talks about the blood of Jesus, so we know we're talking about Jesus. Verse 15 goes on to say, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that's Jesus, that by means of death for the redemption of transgressions that were under the First Testament, the Old Testament, they that were called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there is, must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So, Jesus was here alive. There was no strength in the New Testament yet because the testator 
was alive. He had not died. His blood was not applied yet. So Jesus was doing, when he came to be baptized of John, was not salvation. John was looking at him saying, I see no sin. I see no nothing tainted. I see no reason. He is the one I'm preaching to make a way for. Why am I baptizing him? There for a moment, John kind of lost track of what he was preaching. He said, he needs to be baptizing me. But Jesus corrected him and said, no, I have come to do this and fill all righteousness. I have to do this. There is no way around baptism. It is not an option. Jesus right there made it very clear. He says, I have to do this to fulfill all righteousness, to lay aside, to make the way. I cannot go forth to the cross without first doing this. Jesus is doing here is teaching us a lesson that the Old Testament gives us types of baptism from the flood, from the cloud, the sea, and now and under an Old Testament covenant still, John's baptism. A lesson that will continue and roll over into the New Testament, showing us that baptism is very important. It is not something that's optional. Let's fulfill this for all righteousness. If I'm going to complete this testament before I can go and die, and then the New Testament come into full effect, come into force. Jesus was mandating that he, on the Old Testament side, was going to follow the requirement. Then, and then the requirement would still be in the New Testament that you must be baptized. He made it the importance of baptism very clear on that day. That you must first go through repentance. Ask God to search you and lay aside and turn from whatever it is that is hindering you. And we see the importance of this. John, Jesus, and the disciples. All required it before baptism. So, so understanding that, what is going on in John chapter 3? If repentance is first required before baptism and receiving the Holy Ghost. John 3 is where the man Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee, teacher of the law, rabbi, call it what you may, preacher. This man came to Jesus by night. And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And the very first thing Jesus says is, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? And be born. Jesus answered and said, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So, where there is the message of repentance for Jesus? Very simple. It's found in verse 2 when he says, We know that thou art a teacher come from God. We know what's being happening. Jesus has already repented. Fulfilled all righteousness. Repentance is, is his message. 
Repentance is every, 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 everywhere Jesus goes. He goes about doing good. They understand. And he, that he, he has something in him that causes people to want to be better. Causes people to want to be different. Won't, causes people to want to change and be more like God. And that he also stirs up the religious community and the sinner. So we learn from John the Baptist what fruit meat for repentance is. For every situation, for every person, whatever walk of life there is, wherever they're at in life, there is a fruit meat for repentance. And for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it was for them to just say, humble yourself and to submission of repentance. And that's exactly what Nicodemus was doing. He's saying, I see somebody who has a grip on things a whole lot better than I do. There's a light about him. There's something that he, he knows that I don't understand, that I don't know. So the fact that Nicodemus says, we know that thou art from God, but only one person was coming to Jesus by night, put himself in front of Jesus and saying, how can these things be? What is going on? And that's what caused Jesus to say, you must be born of water and born of spirit. There must first come belief. He that it believes and is baptized shall be saved. That belief has to have action. And Nicodemus was showing his action, humbling himself before Jesus. Maybe not doing it in the way that others may have thought he should do it. And maybe not doing it in the way a lot of people have done it. But Nicodemus was putting himself in front of Jesus. Putting himself in position to hear the truth and to be able to be born again. And Jesus says you must first be born of water and then born of spirit. You're already here. You're already putting action with your belief. You already, you've come to me understanding that I can save you. That is what is so powerful about this message. And that is why Jesus said he that is least in the kingdom can be greater than John the Baptist. It is because John preached repentance. But there was coming a day when there was going to be Holy Ghost and fire. There was coming today that there was going to be a kingdom born. And they could only be born first by repenting and then being born of water and born of spirit. So yes, John was the greatest. There was great power in repentance. There was great changes lives. It changes the day. It changes the situation. But oh, to be born to the kingdom of God by water and spirit. That is what's so powerful of the Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 message. When Peter said, repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's Jesus coming after John the Baptist, making the way perfect. When Jesus said, I must do this, be baptized of John to fulfill all righteousness. It was fulfilled to accomplish, to perfect, making the way more perfect. He says, John, I'm doing this to make this way more perfect. You're preaching it, but there's going to be more to it. What I have in store for my people, it cannot be counterfeited. It cannot be duplicated. It cannot be mimicked. No, it is going to be the only way, the perfect way. What saves people from their sins, saves them from addiction, saves them from a um, arm and hate. I, 
another example of this, not only in Acts chapter 2, but all, all throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18, verse 24 through 26. It says, There was a certain man named Apollos, born at Alexandria. He's an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. He came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. This was a man who understood the ways of God. He was walking in the ways of God, but he only knew the baptism of John. But there was power in that. He was an eloquent man, mighty in scripture, but knowing only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. What way of God more perfectly? The rest of the message. Be born of water and born of spirit. The next chapter in chapter 19, beginning in verse 1 through 6. And it came a pass that while this man Apollos was at Corneth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not heard be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Okay, well, unto when? And, could... and he said unto them, Okay, well, unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, well, unto John's baptism. They said, well, John verily baptized you with baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. They prophesied and prophesied. Jesus, this, is, this was John's ministry. This was its fulfillment, its purpose, was to point others towards Jesus Christ. I have to have this in my life still today. John didn't say it was for one, one moment in time. He didn't say it was something to just say and recite. But he says, no, I must decrease. He must increase. I must bring before him. My fruits meet for repentance. I must bring before him. When Jesus was standing on trial. And this really just brings this all together. And we can really look at. What all of this means. As you tie scriptures together. I love how the Bible gives us examples. Gives us um in the life of Jesus Christ. We can see things that Jesus does. Things that Jesus did. He said. And look at his life. Walking here on earth. And find that example. Of scripture. He is the perfect example. That's why he was here. But the example would be. Or. Maybe I shouldn't say example. Maybe more of the image. That we can have in our head. Of what this really means. The revelation of it all. It's when he stood before Herod. Um, the times of Jesus' trial. Before he went to the cross. 
and he was mocked and he was brought before the chief priests and brought before the leaders and the politicians and the governors. And it was the time, though, when he stood before Herod. And the Bible says he remained silent. This Herod, the same man who had all the opportunities in the world to turn to God, the Bible says that he, like John the Baptist, which is as crazy as it sounds, he did some of the things John the Baptist said to do. Of course, until the day that John called him out for his sin, you could not have your brother's wife, and his brother's wife didn't like it, and she made it her mission to have his head on a silver platter. And, but when Herod allowed the, the head of John the Baptist to be cut off, what John the Baptist represented, from what we see and find out, he represents repentance. He's the voice of repentance. So when Herod had his head cut off, he was cutting off the voice of repentance in his life. On the other hand, this scene of Jesus standing before Herod, who Herod represented. Herod ruled. He was the governor over Galilee. Galilee was where Jesus spent the majority of his ministry. And he didn't spend his ministry preaching behind closed doors in little in church buildings. No, he was out in the open where everybody could see. Everybody could hear him. Always teaching the good things of God. Always teaching the way more perfectly. And it was the opportunities the people of Galilee had to come to him. So here you have Jesus standing before Pilate. And just from about every angle you can come up with. From the voice of Herod wanting to hear something from Jesus. Him representing Galilee. The Galileans. All these people. Now they're wanting to hear what Jesus has to say. Let's hear what how he would answer this. Let's maybe see a miracle from him. Let's, well, I wonder what Jesus is going to do now. Man, I wonder if he's going to show out. But Jesus remains silent. Very simply because you cannot get the Jesus without first repentance. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care what you may think you know. I don't, but I want today in my life repentance to be something that I never go without. Not that I stand before him with great sorrow every day, but that I ask the Lord to search me each and every day, submit to his will, submit to what he wants me to do, be his servant. I am his ambassador today. I cannot get to Jesus without it, because without it, his voice is cut off and he remains silent. Repentance, cut off, destroy, and turn. God gave us the type and shadow of this way back in the book of Genesis when he says, Penteth, that he made man. And what did he do? He destroyed the earth with water and started over. In my life today, I too can repent, cut off, destroy. And that leads me to baptism. And I'm so thankful today that baptism in the wonderful name of Jesus destroys all the stuff that goes on before me. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. It's yes, I must repent. But 
more importantly, I get to repent. I get to walk towards God. I get to live for Him. I get to believe and be baptized. And I get to understand that without Him, this life is not worth living. Repent. Baptism of repentance. Baptism in Jesus' name. And baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Until next time, Lord bless you. In Jesus' name.